Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. It's great to see everybody. Today you came on a fun Sunday. Uh, we're going to do a conversation on mental health. We did this for the first time last year, around the same time of year with McKenna. And so I thought we would not double down, but quadruple down and have four therapists with us today. But before I invite them up, I just want to... Um, share a couple thoughts with you why we're doing today. I need to hear the heart of why. Uh, when Jesus was ministering uh, to a lost world, uh, he had this rhythm in his ministry. He would see, he would feel, he would think, and he would do. So he'd walk into an area, and he'd see that they were hungry. The Bible says he felt compassion on them. And a lot of times, people just see and feel, and that's it. Like, you drive by somebody, oh, that's sad. See you later. I mean, that's all we do. Now, Jesus modeled the way we should live our life and how we should minister. So he would feel compassion, and then he would think, aka, you know, he'd process how to do it and which way he wanted to do it at that time. You know, sometimes you'd take a little bit of loaves, a little bit of fish, and feed 5,000 with it, and then he would do something about it. He would uh, feel love for somebody and do something over and over again. You'd see him feel, think, and do throughout his ministry here on earth. And, and what I want us to do today is I want us to have our eyes opened to something that we need to see maybe a little better, have more clarity on. Um, the conversation mental health, we hear it a lot, but I think there's still a lot of confusion. Like, what really is anxiety? Is being nervous being anxiety? Uh, what is trauma? What is addiction? Uh, I want to read you a couple stats even. One is it says one in five adults struggle with mental health. This was before COVID. And now it's two in five uh, uh, adults struggle with uh, mental health. And here was a crazy stat I read. And only 50% of them actually deal with it. The other 50% just, just try to push through life with it. Uh, the next one is um, over 40% of teenagers state they struggle with persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Uh, depression and anxiety are going up in our nation uh, at a staggering rate uh, the last three years. Uh, 40% of females said they've uh, been anxious within the last year. One in four males have said the same thing. And then a third of all adults said they felt anxious always or often over the course of the past year, including more than half. So that's just some of the things we see. So if we see it, how do we do something about it? Instead of just read an article and move on, I actually want to equip our church today to know how to handle it better, to love people better. Um, I used to be terrible at ministering to people who had anxiety because I'd never experienced it. So I'd be like, you know Philippians 4, right? Pray about everything, worry about nothing, and then you're not anxious. You don't know the magic formula? You're welcome. Have a good day, you know? And um, then I got anxious, and I went to my Philippians 4, and I was like, and it didn't, it didn't work right away. And, and I realized, man, it's more of a journey sometimes. Freedom isn't always a destination. Freedom's a journey. And, and so... Um, yeah, I I'm went from terrible to I'm better at it now, and I want to get better uh, even more. And so I'm so thankful that God has given us the gift of people who have literally leaned into the craft of how to, how to do heart surgery, how to help people. I want to read you a verse real quick. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody say mind. mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. There's just something about the mind. Uh, I read a book as a young believer called The Battlefield of the Mind. Every day it's a battle. You got old thoughts fighting new thoughts. You got, you know, um, things being said to you that, you know, are bad seeds that shouldn't be in your mind. And, and it really is a battlefield. And, and the Lord gives us tools throughout. You can't live a positive life and have a negative mind. And, and so God wants to renew your mind to have an abundant mindset and to have a joyful mindset so you can receive the things of the kingdom. So uh, this isn't just a conversation I wanted to have. I believe that it is so needed in our region. Yeah. Uh, and so needed uh, for us to be able to love people and also people in the room. You need to hear this today. 
not only do you minister to people, you need to be ministered today. So I'm going to invite up uh, uh, Caroline. She's going to introduce our four amazing therapists. And I got to give a shout out quick. All four of these therapists not only go to our church, they're in small groups, okay? So just to give you a heads up, if you're in a small group at our church, assume there's a therapist in it, okay? They're everywhere at our church. Um, it's, it's like, I'm literally like, even when I'm preaching, I'm like, what are they thinking about me right this second? Um, uh, and then also I got to give a shout out to Caroline. She oversees our small groups. We just crossed 800 people in small groups in Mission Church. 800 people are gathering, living. And that's not like three people in, uh, you know, uh, three different small, it's one person, three different small groups counted as three. That's 800 unique individuals. You know, no weird fudge numbers, okay? Those are real numbers, all right? Uh, all right, Caroline, go ahead. Thank you. I'm a rule follower, so those numbers are good. Yeah. I am so, I have the honor to introduce Shelly Galvin, who is a, yes, yes, Shelly. Shelly is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and one area that has consistently ignited her passion is assisting individuals in their journey of healing from trauma, whether helping someone recover from a single traumatic event or aiding them in overcoming a series of tragic experiences, the process of offering hope and facilitating healing has brought her the utmost satisfaction as a therapist. Welcome, Shelly. Next, I want to introduce Dr. Tim Yen. Tim is a psychologist and a consultant with a doctorate of clinical psychology with an emphasis in consultation from Azusa Pacific practicing in the East Bay and leading conferences and retreats around the globe. He is the CEO of Pivot Consulting Firm and the author of the best-selling book, Choose Better, The Optimal Decision-Making Framework. Between his years in private practice, Kaiser Permanente, and another eight years as a mental health staff sergeant in the U.S. Army, he's empowered hundreds of individuals, families, organizations, and teams to develop authentic relationships and grow into their best self. Next, I want to introduce Jill Weinberg, who is a, yes, we love Jill. She is a marriage and family therapist at Community Presbyterian Counseling Center in San Ramon, primarily working with women, both teens and adults, as well as couples. She sees a lot of individuals struggling with anxiety and depression, as well as individuals struggling through life transition. She's been married to her beloved husband for 29 years and has two young adult children, and Jill and her husband are two of our mission marriage group leaders. Woo-woo! Come on. And last, but certainly not least, I want to introduce Eric Anderson. <laughs> Eric is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sexual addiction therapist. He's the founder and clinical director at Pathway Therapy Center. He graduated with his master's in marriage and family therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary School of Psychology and began working in the field of addiction treatment as a primary therapist in a residential chemical dependency treatment in Southern California. Through his training, Eric found a passion for helping individuals and couples heal from addictive patterns and find healing and renewal. He has learned much about the importance of supportive care for all members of the family system involved and hopes that through Pathway to bring a high level of expertise and clinical care to the delicate process of recovering from sex addiction. Come on, come on. Thank you, Caroline. So somebody asked me, so are you going to share all your junk and they're going to all help you and we're going to learn how that works? That's exactly what we're going to do today. I was five years old. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, before we start, uh, something I would love to do, because um, I, I think not only are you guys great humans at our church, great leaders at our church, 
I just want somebody to know our church to know you a little bit more. So I have a couple fun questions before you dive in so you can get to know our therapist a little better. So answer two of the three, please. Um, your favorite movie, uh, one fun fact about yourself, or your favorite hobby. So two of those three. Shelly, go ahead and go first. Um, I'm going to start with favorite movies. Um, I actually have two. So my first answer is kind of a bougie answer. Um, my, <laughs> but one of my all-time favorite movies is Children of Paradise. Has anyone seen? It's an old French film. Someone raised their hand in the back. I, I think you're batting over, but I'm in. My I'll check people, it out. My people back there. Okay. It's just, it's um, set in the French uh, carnival district, and at the end of the movie, everybody is either dead or sad. So I don't know why I love this three-hour <laughs> yeah. movie so much, but it may explain why I became a therapist. <laughs> um, <laughs> My more uh, uplifting movie that I watch probably once a year and absolutely love is Ghostbusters. You know, <laughs> who are you gonna call? Yes. It's just dogs and cats living together. Yeah, it's just a hilarious movie and it makes it. me laugh. So those are my two <laughs> favorite. Those are movies. A and Z, by the way. What's that? A and Z. Those a are complete opposites. I like it. It's also why I'm a therapist, as I can cover a broad range. <laughs> Wherever you're at, I, I can meet you there. So, um, I love it. And then uh, favorite hobby or something unique about yourself? Um, favorite hobby. I have been a runner since I was, I think, 13 or 14 when I started to just found out that I love to run. And so I have been a runner up until... Um, about five years ago when my hip said, 10 years ago, yikes, uh, when my hip said, no, no, we will not do that anymore. <laughs> so now, um, but I love to hike and be outside, and I pretty much walk anywhere that I would have ran, but that's probably... There you go. I love it, I love it. Thank you, Shelly. Tim, go ahead and go for it. All right, so I have two movies. The more grown-up movie would probably be The Matrix. And Come on. It just has so much spiritual depth in terms it's, of like what's real, what's fake. It's, it's amazing. Everybody knows where they were when they saw Matrix for the first time. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the more Disney favorite would be, as a therapist, I have to say Inside Out. Right? Yeah. Bring, bringing the, the emotions home and materialize. It's, it's amazing. Fantastic. And then a unique, um, something unique about yourself or a favorite hobby? So when I was a child... My, my, my father told me that I was a little bit too short, so I couldn't play basketball and all these different things. So he made me swim because he felt like height wasn't a thing. So I swam a lot when I was a kid. But then I decided to join water polo in high school. Not really sure why. I was trying to prove something to someone. And so I did that for high school. There you go. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Jill, go for it. Okay. So... Is this on? Yeah. Yep. So I, I got to go with two, and I would say Born Identity. Yes. I just watched favorites. all of them recently on the plane. Fantastic. One, two, so and three. So good. Sorry. This is my and time. Then, <laughs> <laughs> it is all about you, Ted. Um, and then the other one is About Time. Yeah. I uh, just like the message of appreciating the small moments in life. I just really love and uh, something unique about yourself or favorite hobby? Which one do you want? Uh, ooh, you got both. Yeah. Give us both no, if you uh, got both oh. already. Okay. Um, weird fact about me. Yeah. I have escalator phobia. It's a thing. Wow. I don't know. Well, actually, I do know why. When I was five, I saw a kid get their foot stuck in the escalator. Yeah. So I'm fine going up, but going down 
If you're behind, you do not want to be behind me on an escalator because I have to watch like three of, the, I have to, at least three of those little panels have to go by before yeah. I can go. People behind me are like, what's wrong with this woman? Why can't Come she? Come on. I love it. So, and then um, hobby, yeah. I am addicted to Orange Theory. Come on. It's a great hobby. Orange Theory. Great Sorry. hobby. Great hobby. Uh, so if we're going favorite movie, I guess we're on like an action kick here. Uh, yeah. Going back, Terminator 2 is fantastic. Yes. Unbelievable about the nature of what it means to be human, dedication yes. at all costs. It's the fantastic. thumbs up as he goes yeah. in the lava, oh, I cried. Just, yeah. Score is, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I have little kids, so I feel like I haven't watched anything but kids' movies for the last five years. Uh, <laughs> Lion King is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Deep story. Coming of it. age. Can't get better. And then a unique, um, uh, something unique about yourself or your uh, favorite hobby? Uh, favorite hobby, huge fantasy football nerd. Come I on. Do all the podcasts, yes. deep dive, yeah. way too many leagues. Come on. If you're looking at the things that drive my wife crazy that are distracting me, that's top of the list. I, I, I'm in the fantasy football league. I get it. I get it. It's a good grace. I was nine years old. My mom said, what movie do you want to see in your nine? And I went to Terminator 2. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Rated R. Yeah. Nine years old. <laughs> what would you guys say to that? I'm just well, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, all right, let's get into it. We got a lot of great questions. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do today is, gosh, I've been pastor for almost 20 years now, and it's amazing when I talk to people, and there's just so much confusion, even in my own world and myself, on defining what you should address at a serious level, and things that you go, like, oh, I can just, you know, I, I can talk to a friend, and I'm good with that. And so one of them that I want to ask, and I want to start with you, Shelly, is trauma. Because I'll be talking to somebody, and they'll share a part of their story, and they think it's nothing. And I'm like, holy cow, that would be the most traumatic experience. Uh, and they dismiss it, and therefore you can tell it's affecting their life. Uh, and then sometimes people over-exaggerate a situation, but still could be trauma. So could you define really what, what is trauma? Um, so when we talk about trauma as mental health professionals, we are looking at the mental... Um, the, sorry, the emotional and psychological impact that an event has on us and the people who are um, dismissing their trauma, that's a coping mechanism. They're trying to separate themselves out and push themselves away from the traumatic event. And in your little brain, what's going on is that you're taking that trauma and you're trying to shove it all over into the emotional side, into the right side of your brain and not deal with it and work out of your logical brain. And that doesn't work so good because it tends to come back with a vengeance. It's like sitting on a trunk that's got a little monster in it and it keeps knocking at you. It's like, oh, yeah, no, 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 really, I'm fine. It wasn't, a, no, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, okay, no problem. We're good, we're good. And all of a sudden that little sucker just comes flying out and it comes flying out in the form of maybe intrusive wow. thoughts. It comes flying out in the form of avoidance and you may be driving, you know, avoiding. I don't go down that street because there's a Ford F-150 on that street. And I don't want to hit that. I can't see that. So I have to drive four blocks away to get to work. And, um, or we have negative thoughts, negative beliefs about ourselves. I'm stupid. I just can't do that. Oh, it was all my fault. It's not a big deal. We push away from it. And we may have our mood may be depressed or kind of hanging the effects that you see yeah. in people. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So... Um, Second one is, so say in the room today, somebody as we're chatting goes, man, like I've been avoiding something and it's been, you know, nagging at me, kind of bumping around in my life. Uh, and I do actually want to overcome trauma. Uh, what can I expect when I begin that journey? Like, and how, how should I start that journey? You know, that, um, 
that is something that for all of you to know, healing, especially from trauma, comes in three stages. And a lot of people avoid going to therapy. Yeah, you try not to get there. Um, one statistic that I read years ago said that um, it takes people seven tries before they actually get there. Wow. Because it is so hard to get there. And so we end up in our minds, we end up saying things like, why, why do I act like, I don't know, why, why am I like this? Or man, I must be crazy. I don't want to go, they'll tell me I'm crazy. And um, sat with a lot of people over the last 34 years and yeah, not crazy, not crazy. What they've had is this profound emotional impact and that's one of the things that's really changed in our profession is that we used to focus on behavior we focus now a lot more on this emotional impact. In fact, we have a statistic, diagnostic statistical manual, fancy thing, that um, we use to diagnose people. And what a lot of us are thinking now is we just need to grab that sucker by the spine and shake it out and turn it into a trauma manual and open it up and ask the right question, which mm. is, what happened to you? Yeah. Not what's wrong with you. Yeah. It's what happened to you. Yeah. So when you come to therapy, we're going to get there. We're going to get to what happened to you. But before we get there, the first thing you need to do, that first stage, is feeling safe. You need to, and, and having a rapport. You look up here, we're some decent looking folk up here. <laughs> we're okay, you can come chat with us. We're good at this. Because you need to have that sense of feeling safe and feeling confident. So one of the things that we do is a really great exercise, and you get to do it right now, yeah. is I want you to think about things that give you a heartfelt sense of peace and joy. That not just that, you know, oh, it's got a good beat, I can dance to it. No, something that really grabs you. Um, one of the things for me is that when I was in my master's program, Christmas time, I'm studying, I'm overwhelmed, just having a bad time. My roommate comes in with this Christmas mug with fuzzy socks and hot chocolate in it. And to this day, when I come home from a bad day, I go put on my fuzzy socks and I get out a big mug and I make hot chocolate and I sit there and ah, peace and joy. So all of us need to have that skill set where we can find things that bring us that heart felt sense of joy. So that's the first, first stage is we're really preparing you. Once you're prepared, then we're gonna process through the trauma. We're actually, but you're ready, you're ready because you know you can go home and put your fuzzy socks on and you're gonna be okay afterwards. Yeah. So we're gonna then process through the trauma. We have different ways of doing that because you feel safe, you know that you're prepared and that you can handle it and then we start processing through. I do a type of therapy that's called EMDR, which is the speedboat version. We get through that trauma as fast as we can. And the main goal is that we never traumatize people again. This would be really bad. So we need to make sure we're doing this so you don't get traumatized. That's not the only way. That doesn't work for everybody. There's another style of therapy called somatic therapy. That's the rowboat version. You get there. <laughs> but it is slow, but it is very kind, it's very gentle, you just kind of move through. And then, um, and there's all kinds of stuff in between there. The last stage then is consolidation and resolution. And you get to a point where you realize you are so 
much more than the trauma that happened to you. You have, and especially in our life with Christ, we have this great, big, beautiful, free world that we get to step in, the freedom that we have, and to get to finally step out and live in that freedom is absolutely, absolutely amazing and worth everything that it takes to get there. And so there's, there's hope and joy at the end of it. I often um, feel like people, when they come in, it's as if they were a mirror and they smashed and that mirror has been shattered. And so we gently put all the pieces back together and then we melt the mirror so that you feel whole when you leave. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you. I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, Tim, I'm going to ask you um, a question. I, I just think about what you just shared there, Shelly. I think there is so much um, confusion and even it's just like a translucent idea of like how to walk through it. And so just thank you for that clarity. You know, um, I think all of us, if we're being honest, we've all been impacted by something that we need to deal with. Um, and so thank you. That was, that was phenomenal. Uh, Tim, I'm going to ask you a very similar question on just clarity. Um, one of the things I, I, I studied this week was 80% of us are going to experience anxiety one time in our life. And uh, I think one of the things I see a lot is uh, when people get nervous, sometimes they think they're anxious. And sometimes when people are anxious, they just think they're nervous. And so they don't really know how to diagnose it. So uh, what would you and how would you unpack just the definition of what anxiety is? Yeah, so I wanted to make a quick comment about what Shelly just said about feeling crazy or being yeah. fearful of being crazy. And I've heard it said it really well. It is if you experience something abnormal, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm. right? That, and every behavior has a function. So it's never crazy. It's never senseless because it, it does something for you. There's yeah. a function behind it. And so through counseling, you can kind of unpack try to figure out what that function is and trying to find a healthier way to deal with it. Love so that's, that. a, that's a sidebar, but about anxiety. So yeah. I, I did want to say thank you so much, Pastor yeah. Tyler, Rachel, and Mission Church for, uh, you know how a lot of guest speakers say like, oh, this is like a unique church. And I really think we are because <laughs> we make platforms for things like mental health. Come on. And, and not yeah. every church does that. So yeah. uh, we really are in a special place. Thank you. But speaking, speaking about anxiety, yeah. so... Let's start with defining what anxiety is. So anxiety actually has two parts. There's, there's two parts to that experience. There is what we call the physiological response. So this is things in your body, right? So things like your heart beating really fast, which, by the way, is because your heart is trying to gear you up to, to face a threat or whatever it is that may appear to be harmful. And so the, the heart is pumping really fast to try to get the blood into the major muscles in your body so that you can react, you can respond. So that's why your heart beats faster, uh, your muscles might be tighter, butterflies in your stomach, uh, clammy hands, restlessness, right? So those are some of the symptoms of like a physiological response to anxiety. And of course, there's the mind, right? The part where you focus on uh, worst case scenarios, how terrible it's going to feel when this bad thing happens. And they kind of play off of each other, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So that's the experience of anxiety. What is the function, right? So the function behind anxiety simply is you're trying to avoid or prevent this really, really bad thing from happening in the first place. You're trying to, like, grab reins of control so that you can prevent that bad thing from happening. And kind of just to decipher between, uh, I guess, normal anxiety versus 
pathological anxiety. So normal anxiety, uh, there's these psychologists, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy for a second. They created this thing called the Yerkes-Dawson Law of Arousal. And essentially, you can think of it as a parabola, right? So half of a McDonald's sign, right? So there's this sign that kind of goes like this. And so on one end, when the anxiety is too low, then you just don't have urgency for anything. Sometimes people feel depressed. So if you don't have enough anxiety, then you just don't get anything done, right? Some people, you need deadlines, or you need some of these pressing things to get you moving. So too little anxiety, not great. But then, of course, if you have too much of anxiety, which is, which is on the other end, then you get overwhelmed, you panic, you, you, you're paralyzed, you're, you're distracted, can't get anything done. Not so great, right, on, on the other side. So they say a normal anxiety is somewhere in the middle, right, somewhere in the middle of that graph. Everyone kind of has that sweet spot where it's just enough anxiety to get your performance high, and that's kind of where you want to be. And so speaking of anxiety disorders, the word kind of captures it all, right? Disorder. Like we know that our God is a God of order, God of of design. And so anytime you're living your life out of order, just kind of chaotic, just not living aligned with who God's called you to be and and the joy, the peace, all these different things, then that would be a disorder. So an anxiety disorder is anything in which anxiety gets in the way of living your best life. So, and and there's a big umbrella for anxiety disorders. There's all sorts of flavors, right, behind that. It's a great description, though. Thank you so much. The second one is, so what are some healthy ways to deal with anxiety? So I talked about the two parts, right? There's the, the physical part and there's, like, the mental part. So... The first thing is to be able to kind of reverse this cycle. And I said there's kind of an interplay between your body and your mind. So when your body's freaking out, then your mind, it sends a signal to your brain that something terrible is happening. Then it sends a signal back to your body, and then it's freaking out. And it creates this really terrible uh, spiral of sorts, like a negative feedback loop that's happening. So, so one of the best ways to kind of halt that cycle, or, or better yet, reverse the cycle to create a positive feedback loop, is you want to control the way your body's responding to the perceived threat, whatever it may be. So something kind of counterintuitive, and it's a great place to start, is being able to control how you breathe, interestingly enough. Because when you're gearing up to do the fight or flight stuff, you're breathing really fast. You're trying to push oxygen through, right? You're trying to get into the action. But just simply practicing and maintaining your breath, deep breaths through your nose, blowing out slowly through your mouth, right? That, just that as a start will help reverse that cycle because then your body feels calmer, your, your heart's slowing down, then it sends a signal to your brain that it can't be that bad, right? If you're breathing like this, right? Then it sends a signal back to your body and it feels a little bit better. So just being able to kind of reverse that cycle. And I think the last part that I wanted to talk about is the, the spiritual implications, I suppose, to anxiety. So at the end of the day, anxiety is about one main thing, it's about control, right? It's, a, it's about trying to prevent that really terrible thing from happening to you or to someone that you love. And at the end of the day, the best thing to focus on in terms of your mind, right, is things that are, you are called to steward. Like, what, what can you control? What can you do? And there, there's a difference between what we call planning and worrying. And they feel really similar. They're kind of like the same in our minds. It feels similar. But here's the big difference. Planning is focused on action steps, things that you can do to address the issue. Worrying is 
thinking about the worst case scenario, how terrible it's going to feel when it happens, and you're just fixated on, oh, I just don't want this thing to happen. Not particularly productive, right? So, so being able to train the mind to focus on what it is that you can do about the issue, right, is, is probably where you want to go, which is hard to do when your body is panicky, right? So that's why you kind of want to have that interplay. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things in our lives that we cannot do, right? There's a lot of things out of our control, and that's where our Heavenly Father comes into the picture, right? In terms of being able to focus on something eternal, something that's true, right? Being able to focus on the character of God, who God's called you to be, uh, you know, those types of things are also what will help kind of anchor and, and put the, the reins back into the God who can do everything. So good. So good. So good. <laughs> Something I want to ask Tim and Shelley real quick um, is, now, we're, I'm not a therapist. A lot of us aren't in, in the room therapists. I think half of, the re- half of you guys are therapists, yes? Is that correct? <laughs> is that the stat we have in our church? Um, but um, I remember when I went to a class with a therapist and they taught me how to um, minister to people who have lost somebody who's died. And like one of the first things they said is, I'm going to teach you what not to say. And one of the things they taught me in that class was, uh, don't tell somebody who just lost somebody, be strong. Like that's the worst thing you should tell somebody who just lost somebody. Like you, you should mourn with those who mourn and allow them to be sad, allow them to have that moment. Uh, and too many people feel like they need to be strong for somebody during that moment. So I've learned what not to say in a lot of moments because I am pastoring people and ministering people. Could you help us in your guys' fields of expertise on how to minister to somebody when we hear something from somebody like that they are struggling with anxiety? What's something we shouldn't say and what's something maybe we should say or how we should help them to take the next step? Same thing with trauma. What is something that we shouldn't say and something that we should say to maybe help them take the next step? So Tim, uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, I actually read a blog. I don't know how credible it was, but there's, there's a blog that was talking. <laughs> blogs are credible. I love blogs. It's so, on the internet. It's real. <laughs> so they were talking about like what to do, what to say when someone's grieving. And I really like what the author said. They were saying that when you're grieving loss and you're just in immense emotional pain, it's really hard to think about what you need. Right? Some people, like it, it sounds really nice to be like, hey, if you need anything, just let me know. But they're just like, I'm not even thinking, I don't know what I need, to be, to be honest. And yeah. so I think one of the best things to do is to make space for them to feel whatever they're going to feel. Okay. And, and one of the cool things is, as human beings, we all have this thing called the human experience, right? And the human experience is made up of feelings. <laughs> we yeah. feel a lot of different things. And so even if you haven't experienced the grief of what that person has gone through, we all know what it means to lose something, right? We know what it mm. means to feel sad. Yeah. And so making space to validate the feeling part, everyone can be a therapist in that kind of way. We can okay. connect with them on this like human level. And then the other part of the blog was instead of asking them what they need, you may want to just go ahead and offer what you think they might, right? Like it could be a meal. It could be yeah. you know, just whatever it is. You can always make the suggestion and it's a lot easier for them to say, Yes or no, as yeah. opposed to them coming up with stuff to that's good. to help them with. That's good. And Shelly, somebody who deals with trauma, or we find that out. I said we're talking to somebody or somebody who's dealing with anxiety. Either or, what what, what should we not say, and what is something we should help with? Uh, so the uh, being Christ-like, you meet people at the point of their most immediate need, mm. and if somebody's been traumatized, their most immediate need is to have a connection with you, and trauma is scary um, for even those who haven't been there. So, no, you don't want to have to listen to their traumatic story and get re-traumatized. 
So the response when someone says they've been traumatized is, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. That must really have been overwhelming. Using the word that's really overwhelming takes away all the judgment. You're not judging anything. It's just, wow, that must really be overwhelming. Is there anything I can do to help? If you're somebody who wants to, uh, who is, is comfortable, it's, you know, tell me more. Can I get you the help that you need? I know a really thumping good trauma therapist that you could go. Um, probably anyone on this stage or half of the room actually would fit in that category. But being kind and just sitting with them, their need is to, to be heard and to be, to be believed. And I think in any situation, whether it be trauma or anxiety um, or grief, that we all know life is one darn thing after another. You know, you go out and the car doesn't start. Bummer. You get the car fixed, you get to work, and there's ten times more to do than you thought there was going to do. But you get through that day and you go home and a kid is sick or somebody breaks up with somebody and it's all one thing after another. But what happens when people have been traumatized or in anxiety, depression, addiction... They get to be doing the same thing over and over again. And it's as if you're stuck on this racetrack mm. and you're going over and over and around in the racetrack. And what happens when you come to therapy is we start to build off ramps. Oh, and good. you're coming to therapy to get off ramps built. So, so encouraging people to deal with their trauma, encouraging people to deal with their stuff, you're encouraging them to build off ramps so they can have an off ramp into a freer life. Come on, that's good. That's really good. Um, one of our prayers this morning as we were praying before service was that people in the room today, that you would, the Lord would do something in your heart, the Holy Spirit would speak, and you'd be excited actually to um, deal with what God has given you the power to deal with and through help through a therapist and to create those off ramps. So we're believing for great testimony from today for that. Um, Eric, I want to move on to you. Yep. Um, uh, one of the stats I read that was fascinating through COVID is that addiction skyrocketed. On every facet, oh, you yeah. name it, uh, with pornography, alcohol, you name it, addiction skyrocketed. Yep. And so the first question, just to bring clarity, is, is how would you define an addiction? Yeah, um, uh, those stats are right on. We saw things skyrocket tremendously. People were super isolated. We go into our usual coping mechanisms, and we just get stuck in those patterns you were talking about. Um, I think when it comes to defining addiction, the things I'll typically look at is... Um, whether it's a substance or a behavior, it's about what your relationship to it is, and it's about being disordered. So some of the things we'll look at is um, I've tried to stop, but I've been unable to. It's mm. been a longstanding desire of trying to, like, um, trying to curb whatever the thing is, yet it keeps coming back. Um, continuation despite consequences. So despite issues that have come up, I've been more isolated than I normally would. Um, I'm pulling away from people. I'm not as productive. I'm not as focused as I could be. Um, my depression, anxiety, all these things are going up. I'm noticing those things, yet I still keep persisting in wow. that. Um, I would say, uh, where's some of the other ones? Um, I start prioritizing whatever the thing is over everything else. So I'm pushing aside other important uh, responsibilities. Um, sometimes it's even just in small ways, but like I'm not, uh, uh, I'm showing up late to work. I'm sleeping in a little bit longer because I was up too late doing whatever. Um, I, uh, I've neglected uh, things that I need to get in in time, that kind of thing. Um, 
And then we see withdrawal symptoms start coming up. If I'm not able to engage in whatever my drug of choice is or um, behavior is, uh, I start feeling more anxious, I'm more restless, I'm more irritable. Um, all those anxieties start going, uh, start going up, and you start seeing how all these things start affecting each other. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, yeah, I would say that's probably that's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. That, I mean, something that jumped out at me is things that I've tried to do in my own strength, is what mm-hmm. you said. But over and over again, you can't do it by yourself. Right. right. And uh, if you're in the room today, uh, man, you're not supposed to do life alone. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, we're here to help. Um, the next one I want to ask, and this is, uh, we're going to get a little intense, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I read also is the statistics on people who have bondage with pornography. And it's uh, unbelievably high yeah. uh, in the world and in the church. So what is the um, cost of not dealing with that addiction? Um. I mean, it's tremendous. I would say the primary thing is it pushes us deeper into shame. It pushes us deeper into isolation. Um, the Oftentimes when someone's coming into our practice, it's, it's this thing that I've known I've needed to deal with forever. I'm terrified to talk to anyone about. Oftentimes something has happened. Some crisis is coming up, and now it's like I'm finally ready to, to, to go into this. Um, and I just hear stories of how um, I've become more isolated from my friends. I push people away. This is the one thing I feel like I could never go in, talk about, share with anyone. Um, and it, it drains the life out of people. It drains the life out of their relationships. It yeah. drains the life out of their marriages. Um, and the even, even when it's undiscovered, it's this thing I constantly feel like I have to work everything in my life around to protect this secret. I can't show up the way I would like to for pretty much everything in my life. Wow. Um, and it's, it's, and then the anxiety goes up. I'm not dealing with things. If I'm really getting it honest about this, that might mean I have to, I have to share with my wife. And then, so my depression, my anxiety, the burden we carry goes yeah. up all of it. So something you said there, it, it drains you. When we were at lunch, uh, um, last week, you're sharing with me. I, I thought it was fascinating. So yeah. the promise that Jesus told us is an abundant life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way you're describing this addiction to me is that it basically just makes you live like at a lack of an abundance. Yeah. Like your drive, you just start becoming just kind yeah. of almost um, methodically in a, a phase of just lack. Is yeah. that a good way to say it? Yeah. Well, so sometimes we'll see people and there's this like, there's a crisis, right? And when a crisis happens in 12-step programs, we might call it like a rock bottom moment. And that's really where... I get the awareness I need to do something, right? Yeah. Ben, and that's often disastrous because there's a crisis, but um, the benefit is that's really the turning point. Yeah. The thing I see happen with a lot of guys around um, like a pornography addiction yeah. is it just kind of lingers. It's just yeah. there. You're kind of operating. You're functioning. You're getting to work. Your relationships are intact, but you're not functioning as well as you could, and it just slowly drains the life out of you. And yeah. so I'll tell those guys, like, the biggest risk is not so much that, like, Life's going to end tomorrow, but it's five years, 10 years, 20 years later. Wow. This thing just is still lingering around. I've become slowly more distant. It's the, the boiling the frog thing. Yeah. Um, and then I just become, uh, I, I, I might tell myself I'm doing fine, and maybe in most metrics I am, but like, I know I'm not quite as good as, yeah. as I could be. And, that's the, and then I think deep down, like we know that. Yeah. We know I'm not showing up the way I want it. We know I'm not, I'm holding back part of myself. Yeah. And we don't even realize how much we actually miss out on how much we buy the lies that we've told ourselves yeah. about like our lack of worth and our lack of ability because yeah. we're just so used to living with that. Gosh, that's good. Uh, what are some of the blockers, uh, barriers you see people uh, not dealing with addiction? 
Um, so, like, what what holds people back yeah. from dealing with it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mentioned. I think the 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 shame, of course, is huge. That'd be um, the big one, yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's feeling like if anyone ever knew this thing about me, they would think fill in the blanks. Yeah. So it's it's this deep core belief, and that and out of that same core belief comes depression, comes anxiety, comes all these other things. But if anyone ever knew this thing about me, they would think. I'm awful. They would think I'm going to get kicked off of all the leadership positions I'm in. They would want to. Um, they would want nothing to do with me, right? And it's going to will catastrophize things in some ways. And so it becomes this this like this thing I can never go in and share, right? One yeah. of the things we often see that's really cool is um, uh, when I, the process of starting therapy. It's it's so similar to a gospel, uh, the message of the gospel where we come to realize we need something beyond us in order to, 12 steps would say, in order to restore us to sanity. I need, yeah. me going, uh, operating life as I am, I'm going to train wreck it. I already have, and so like, <laughs> I, I know I need Preach. to, I need to come into the room to ask for help. I need something to do yeah. this because I, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. And that's the start of where change happens. Mm. Um, and so, uh, it's a good picture. How courageous of a moment it is for someone to get to that position. Yeah. And that's not specifically to addiction, whether it's about a depression or anxiety. When yeah. someone says, like, they make that call, like, when, when you're saying, like, what, when someone tells you, hey, I had this trauma happen, or hey, yeah. I'm going through this anxiety, wow, that's an incredibly courageous act, because that's the start of, yeah. I think I'm, I'm ready to actually share about this Come thing. On. I'm ready to actually take that step, yeah. and I'm opening my heart to something totally new. Yeah. And that's the process of, of getting started. I love anyway, that. I love that. So, so here's, the, here's the, the big question. We talked about the yeah. cost of it. What's the reward of dealing with an addiction? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things uh, about uh, the work that I do is the, the groups that I run. Um, one of my favorite things is whenever someone's, um, joining a group and they're getting ready to talk to a bunch of strangers about something that they've been terrified to share with anyone. And I can see the tension. I'll run the groups where um, we'll go around and everyone shares a story of what brings them to group. And a lot of people have been in for a long time and they have, um, they've told their story a bunch of times. And so I, I can see the person who's, who's new, their shoulders start to relax and they start to hear like everyone's stories. And these are good people. These are people who are like own people. They're care about their families and they're here to deal with their issues. And they start realizing like, this is a place I need to be. This is a place I can actually connect with people around. This yeah. issue that I thought was so terrifying is uh, not so terrifying. And the, what's so cool to see is this, this thing that has kept them isolated and cut off from relationships. Now they're forming relationships, not in spite of it, but because of it. And their whole wow. relationship with this struggle starts to change. And I actually start building the deepest relationships I've ever had because I can just go right to the heart of what's happening yeah. here. And out of that, their ability to connect with other people starts getting better. Their ability yeah. to connect with some of their closest, most intimate relationships, their family starts getting better. Um, they're not carrying the weight of the burden of all That's this, good. so they become more present, more productive in other areas of life. Um, and you see, I mean, anyone who knows someone who's been in recovery around addiction, you see someone who's 5, 10, 20 years into the process radical change it's yeah. unbelievable and these yeah. people are brand new people and it's it's the sense of joy that comes out of it is yeah. unbelievable i love that i love that um something that i desire for our church is um when we were chatting last week a lot of time people deal with it once they have that terrible moment when they're caught or they lost something terrible yeah. I, I really believe there's two ways to learn pain or wisdom and, and i hope today that some of you learn from wisdom 
that you deal with it before you hit rock bottom, uh, before you have that moment where you're like, golly, why didn't I deal with this last year? Uh, this is your new day. Uh, best time to plant trees two years ago. Second best time is right now. And, That's great. And That's so, great. Uh, I want to encourage you, uh, make a decision today uh, and punch that thing in the face. And uh, what I love is we have 800 people, you know, in small groups. But something I really desire for our, our church uh, with that is um, you were saying that when people go around the group and people start sharing the real story. Yep. It, it, it helps other people share the real story yeah. and find real freedom and yeah. have real breakthrough. And so I just pray that a grace on our small groups is that we have real conversation. We share our real struggles. Um, nothing happens in superficial. Yeah. But man, God does real stuff in real conversations. And so I love that you shared that. So the last thing I want to ask, you can clap for that. That's good. Um, <laughs> I said it. You can say it. I'm just kind of, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, last question I want to ask you, Eric, is what are some keys uh, to overcoming addiction? Uh, so the, the group component, the isolation, the having people to connect with is the biggest thing. Uh, there's a 12-step uh, slogan that uh, we're only as sick as our secrets. Holding on to things, feeling like I cannot share anything with anyone. If you have that thing, that's a burden. It weighs you down. It keeps you more distant. It keeps you in those same cycles. That pattern starts to break by, by sharing it. And that's scary, but having someone be able to... Um, receive that, have that reaction, affirm that, how courageous it is, how I get excited for people. Like, you are starting this journey that has the potential to be totally life-altering. Um, is so, And there's a lot of ways you can go about doing that, but, like, the, the biggest key is get some connection, get some people who, like, you can be honest with. Um, can be a trusted mentor, could be a pastor, could be a therapist. Um, but to... to to really develop a true, authentic relationship. I think it's the Come on. thing. Thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. Uh, Jill, I want to finish with you on this panel. And uh, something you know about Jill, not only is she a you know, marriage family therapist, but she has two amazing kids, like yeah. phenomenal kids. You raised amazing kids, and you're an amazing mom. Um, and so I want to ask for the parents in the house that are raising kids that have anxiety, um, what are some signs they need to look for with their kid if their kid has it and... Maybe they didn't even know it, but uh, some things they should have their eyes out for so they know how to help their kid in that journey. Yeah. So that's a really good question, and I'm going to give you a two-part answer to it. Um, because the truth is, you can go and Google how to look for signs of depression and anxiety <laughs> in our kids, and it'll come up with like you know nine or ten things in the DSM. So I'll hit on those really quickly, but I think there's maybe a better answer yeah. to that question. Um, so some of those would be... Um, you know, not a regular worry that just kind of comes up about a test or, you know, a little stress in a relationship is just going to, it's going to pass over time. And anxiety and depression will show up and be persistent and pervasive. So it's happening over a longer period of time and it's affecting lots of different areas of their lives. And some things you could be looking for are some social withdrawal. They're not hanging out with their friends or doing some of the activities that they would normally do. Maybe there's um, changes in their eating habits, sleeping habits, um, academic performance, just sudden changes where you're just feeling like they're a little off. And a low energy can be a really good thing to watch for, just there's lack of motivation. So those types of things. So I would encourage you, if you're a parent of a teen and you're like, I don't know if this is normal, um, go ahead and do some research on that because I think the more you know, the better that will be. But I would say if we want to get to the issue before it starts, to just zoom out 
And keep in mind that what we know to be true in mental health is that we go through different stages in our lives. And when we're kids, we're looking to answer the question, do my parents love me? Do my parents accept me? And when we get to junior high, we're looking at, do my peers love me? Do my peers accept me? Then we get to high school and we're asking the question, do I love me? Do I accept me? And then into adulthood, we're asking the question, you know, does the world love me? Does the world accept me? And something to keep in mind is these questions actually stack on top of each other. We don't just live in that at one moment. I have plenty of high schoolers that are still asking, do my parents love and accept Mm. me? If I don't make the swim team or the soccer team, are are my parents really going to love me? And you'd be surprised how much assurance they're still needing at that age of being loved. So my question back to you, back to the parents would be, as believers in Jesus and as, as we have the word and have the love that we do have for our kids, how are we helping them answer those questions at each stage? Yeah. Am I loved? Am I accepted? That's so good. That's so good. Um, so now as a parent, you see that your kid has maybe one of those things. You've noticed something. Um, what's the best way to approach it with the kid? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. One, I think as a parent, we have to check in with our own anxiety as a parent because when our kids have issues, that brings up all of our stuff. We're going through at that age, <laughs> yeah. and we just want to fix it and make it go away as quickly as possible. And I think it's so much more helpful to look at anxiety and depression as not something that we just have to quickly fix and get over because it's really an opportunity to meet Jesus in that. And... Um, sometimes some of those things that we struggle with are the things that just always draw us back to the Lord. And we can be grateful that we have those things that we can meet him in. But in short, um, I think it's when we come to our kids, if we can remember, and this is true for all of us, not just parents, because I think this, we, we need to do this for ourselves. We need to approach our challenges with compassion and curiosity So if we can go to our kids and just get curious, like, hey, I've noticed you're doing this thing a little bit differently. I just want to hear about that. What's going on with you? Yeah. And then when our kids share with us what they're experiencing, if we can, to Shelly's point, validate those emotions. Sometimes we're afraid if we were to say, like, oh, gosh, that sounds really scary. What if we get the wrong word? Then then they're going to think we don't understand them. But that's not true because then they can clarify and just... Well, it's not exactly scary. It's just that I'm really overwhelmed right now. And so connecting with their emotional experience and not feeling like we have to be the perfect parent, too. Just, I think also, sorry, but not just try to remember what it was like for you when you were experiencing some of these things and share from your own personal experiences. We don't have to. I think I at times felt this pressure, like I have to be this perfect role model for my kids. And I think what's way more helpful is to just be real with them about what we struggled with when we were their age and let them feel like we're a safe place for them. That's good. That's really good. Uh, One more question I want to ask you, Jill, is, you know, they've, uh, our Surgeon Health General, I think that's his title, forgive me. Uh, he's, it's, it's a bigger title. Uh, but he basically said, like, we're in an epidemic of mental health, especially with young people, uh, with anxiety and depression. And so one of the things I want to ask you is what are some practices we can implement to support our teens in mental health? Yeah. 
So one thing that I think is really interesting because we're trying to fix anxiety and depression and how can we get rid of it as quickly as possible. And one thing I think is helpful is to look at what are cultures and groups of people that are navigating these issues really well. And I, I'm curious what you guys think. The Amish people, what do you think the rates of depression and anxiety are among the Amish people? I want to take a guess? I love guessing games. 10%. Less than 1%. Wow. Less than 1%. So what, when they've been studied, what is found, there's like a few things that they do really well. One of them is community support. So they're, they're doing life together. They have people that they can go to and lean on for support. They're, they're truly known. We all have friends, but do we have friends that really know exactly That's how good. we're doing in, in any given moment? Um, another thing they do really well is they have a much simpler lifestyle, so significantly reduced technology. <laughs> um, and we have to model that as parents, too. Yeah. You know, if we're on our phones all the time, we, it's not super helpful for our kids. So a reduction in, um, in use of technology and consumerism um, is another big one. They also um, are really good about being in nature and... Fun fact, during COVID, I, I read an academic journal that was talking about who was thriving during COVID lockdowns, and it was people that had their pods that they were connecting with on a regular basis, and people that were getting out in nature. Wow. Um, and then the last two are a strong commitment to faith and a sense of purpose and mm -hmm. fulfillment through work. And... Something that I, I'll just end on this one thing. Um, when it comes to feeling fulfilled in what God has wired us to do, one thing I know to be true is whatever gift God has given us to bring to the world, that is the area that we are most likely to experience lies from the enemy. And I have to say, those lives are, lies are so believable. They get wrapped in logic that sounds so um, persuasive. And then we're living out of these lies and not living into the purpose that God has for us. So if, if that requires therapy or even just being with our people that know us deeply that can say like, hey, Jill, that doesn't sound true to me. You're like, let's explore that together. I think that can be really That's helpful. So good. That's so good. Come on. Today was like a fire hose, and so, um, but here's what I know about the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what needs to stick and illuminate, and something I just wanted to uh, finish with is ask a handful of you, uh, if you have any final thoughts on our conversation today, some, something somebody else said you want to piggyback on, or just something you were thinking about uh, that you want to close with, anybody have a final thought they want to share? There's a, a quote that I really like that goes something like, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So, so the idea is that in, in this life, there will be pain. That's but good. suffering is a, is a mental state where we, we like, stay with it. We, we ruminate about it. And so the, the, ho the hope, the call, right, is that through the pain, you choose to do something beautiful through it, right, something That's redemptive. Good. That's good. I think today what, what I'm hearing all through all of our talks is this idea of we are um, certainly – not trying to minimize anything that you are currently going through or have gone through, 
but we are normalizing that you all are going through something and that no matter what that is, no matter what path you've been on, there is help and hope for you. And there are so many people here at Mission who want to help you and who have hope for you. Come on, so good. Does that have anything? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, I think we're at, the, based off kind of what, what we're all talking about, I think we're at this, this moment in the world where um, there's a real hunger for, for deeper meaning, deeper yeah. purpose in life. And when that is gone or when we don't have that, we see depression, we see anxiety and addiction, all that kind of comes in to fill the gaps. And I really think, like, the church is in a unique position to really provide meaning to the losses that have happened, to the addictions, the struggles, the um, the traumas, the anxieties, the things I don't understand. Um, that's where the light of the gospel really has a chance to come in and I think provide the, the core uh, need that, that needs to be fulfilled there. So good. I'll invite the worship team to come up or keys. I'm not sure how we're finishing. Sorry, I should have read the notes. Um, <laughs> Julie, you have something? Yeah, yeah, please. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's Caroline. Okay. I, I actually, I do have one thing. You read the notes. <laughs> but yeah, let it rip. I, I will just say, if there's a parenting book that I could recommend, yeah. I love a book that I read about 13 years ago called The Price of Privilege by Madeline Levine. And she actually lives in Marin County and is writing to the issue of what it is to grow up in an affluent community where there is intense pressure academically, intense pressure athletically, just to succeed. And so she really does a phenomenal job at helping parents um, bring some health around that. So that would be so good. So good. Can we thank them for today? It's so good. So good. So good. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite Caroline up. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what um, you did today. We thank you for these four individuals and uh, what they shared. Uh, Lord, we prayed this week and we prayed this morning uh, that victory would be right around the corner for people. Uh, Lord, your promise on our life is that we're going to be overcomers. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a new hope that was instilled this morning, uh, that people are going to overcome addiction today. They're going to overcome depression. They're going to overcome trauma. They're going to overcome anxiety. Uh, families are going to overcome. Kids are going to overcome because, God, you're the one that gives us the strength to overcome. And, God, you also gave us the church. You gave us people to help us. Uh, we're not supposed to do life alone. So, God, I pray that the ones that just had this tug on their heart that they need to maybe start seeing a therapist, God, that they would not ignore that tug uh, because that tug was from you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the ones that know that they're going to start breaking uh, the cycles of addiction. And that stops today, God. I thank you that you did heart surgery today. Uh, God, we thank you that you're the one that sets us free because where your spirit is, there's freedom. Uh, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for what you did. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.